and bless them, giving them an opportunity to really, truly be ministered to. Give yourself a big hand. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, by the way, Sister Vicki will be speaking in chapel Wednesday, and if any of you remember that chapel service last year, wow. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be another great time. But we just deeply appreciate Brother Stavernan both, very, very special people, just a very gifted ministry. Would you make Sister Vicki welcome as she comes back this evening? Praise the Lord. You can be seated. They're going to get the pulpit for me, so I have somewhere to lay my Bible. And I just want to tell you that we are so excited that we got to stop along the way and be with you. We have been in the state of Arkansas since the 2nd of January, and this is our 27th service this month. We have been somewhere every night. So if I look, look more old and haggard than normal... That's a lot for an old lady. <laughs> I'm enjoying every moment of it, and we believe that the prophecies over this state are being fulfilled. The harvest is white here, and we know that God is doing something very special in Arkansas. We spent most of our time last year in the state of Arkansas, ministering all over and then we will move on from here after chapel. We're staying over just so that we can be in chapel on Wednesday. And then we're moving on to Texas. And we'll be there for another three and a half weeks before we go home. Home right now is in the state of Wisconsin. Brother Vernon was born and raised in Virginia. He is also a minister of the gospel. And I'm just so very blessed that we are together doing this end time ministry. And I'm just so, so very thankful for his covering. My pastor knows I'm here. That's very important. We don't ever have a calling or a ministry that we don't need a pastor. And I'm very thankful for that. And Pastor Melton and the ministry team here, I am submitted to you and under your covering tonight as I minister. I am uh, very burdened tonight. I have a message for this church and for these children. There's a kid that lives inside of every one of us. And if I did not deliver what the Lord gave me for you tonight, I would be most miserable. Let me ask you a question. What if this were the last service before Jesus came? You know, there is going to be a last service. There's going to be a time we're going to gather. And we won't know it because no man knows the day or the hour. There will be a last time that we will gather. And then the skies are going to split open and Jesus is coming to get his church. And we better make sure we're ready. If there were ever a time, I, I mean we should always make sure we're ready. But if there were ever a time that we should make sure every day, every moment that we're ready, it's now. Because a lot of people are being lifted out of here prematurely. Prematurely to, to us, not to God. He had the date already on his calendar. We have disease. We have sickness. We have all kinds of things in our world. You cannot trust the news, the government. You don't know what's going on. You don't know. People quote to me the news all the time. And in my, I either say it or I think it. How do you know that's even true? There is nothing that is secure except for what we have right here. And these children singing, give me Jesus. We want that to become their reality. Not just a song, but give me Jesus. Because nothing else is secure in this old world. I have a message for you tonight. And those of you that were here this morning, I want you to know the boys and the girls tied and you did so wonderful. But I need for you to do the same thing tonight. I need you to sit with your back up against the back of the seat. I need you to hook your hands together in your lap. 
Hook your ankles together. If your legs start to swing, I don't want you to get up and go out. I don't want you to go talk to your parents. I want you to stay right here with me. And I don't want parents to bristle when an adult that loves your children corrects them. That is a problem. And I'm just going to tell you, you have some of the greatest children's workers and people that love your kids. And when they correct your kids, it's always in in an appropriate manner, and it's in love. The worst thing you can do is defend your children against somebody that's spirit-filled that loves them. They're trying to help them get to heaven. That's what I'm doing tonight. Put yourself in my shoes. Remember what I asked them this morning? I'm not going to ask them again. How many of you want me to be finished? And every one of them raised their hand. You want me to get done quick? So I have my work cut out for me. But I'll tell you the biggest challenge to me right now is when I look out here, and the Lord started this with me over 30 years ago, I was so afraid to minister. And when I was asked to minister to the church, the children were here and the church was here, I was so terrified that it would hinder me. And the Lord did something for me. When I'm ministering to children and I look out there, I don't see adults who are intimidating. What I see is souls that are all the same size. And there's a little kid that lives down inside of each one of us. And that's what I see when I look out there. I want to minister tonight. If you'll let me, if you'll help me. Now, if you hinder me, I can't. But if you'll let me, I want to minister from this front seat all the way to the back. Because I feel like God gave me a message for you. Thank you. I feel the Holy Ghost so strong tonight. Those who are sitting with the children, don't be afraid to tap a shoulder Don't be afraid to say, shh, help me out tonight so that I don't have to stop. They're children, and they need correction, and they really enjoy it when it's done in love. So don't be afraid if you're sitting around a child to remind them, okay? Help me out tonight. I am turning in the word because remember what I told you this morning. Every word in this book is true. Everything in there is true. I'm turning to Psalm 51. We're going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. This is at the end of the psalm, toward the end of Psalm 51, that is a perfect example of repentance. If you ever feel like you need to get in the presence of the Lord and really repent... Make sure your heart is clean. Open your Bible and read this psalm out loud. And read it from your heart. This is a prayer, a psalm of repentance. And in the middle of this psalm, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. We talked about a clean heart this morning. Getting your dirty heart cleaned out. You can't go to heaven with a dirty heart. You have to be born again, and it begins with repentance, getting a clean heart. And he said, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. And I want to draw your attention to this word, restore. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Now, it goes on in that psalm to let us know that after we've done those things, then we're ready to go out and and help somebody else. We're not ready to help anybody else until we have done these things ourselves. You can't lead anyone anywhere you haven't gone. If you don't pray at home, your children won't. If they don't see you read the Word, they will never read the Bible. 
If you don't have devotions at home and pray with them and spend time with them in the word, they're not going to develop a love for that either. And if you have things in your home that are inappropriate, then they will continue in that. And those spirits will attach to them. And they will continue in those sins. It's the way that works. You can't take someone anywhere you have not gone. You can't introduce them to someone you don't know. So is Jesus just a casual friend? Or is he everything? And you're ready for them to make him everything. Amen. Amen. I'm going to try to deliver this message to you tonight that the Lord gave me. Simply call this, something better. Something better. I read to you in the psalm the word restore. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. What does that word restore mean? Restoration. What does restore mean? It means the act of returning something to a former owner, a place, or a condition. Here is a sentence about restore. A man was sick. He made a visit to the doctor. The doctor treated him and he was restored to health. That's how you use that word restore. He was sick. He got some medicine. Now he's restored to health. Do you know there are over 300 television shows nationwide on this fad of restoration? Fix this house, flip this house, restoring things, taking old things and fixing them up. It's a fad. It's something that's been going on for a few years now. Over 300 television shows. So people are interested in taking old things and making them over. But what I want to tell you tonight, if we are not careful, we'll look at that scripture and that's where our mind goes. That the Lord is just going to kind of patch us up and fix us up. We're such a mess when we come to him. But I want to tell somebody tonight that restoration means when he gets done with you, you're better than you were before. He never leaves anything the same way it was. He's going to make you better. Amen. Your life is going to be better if you give your heart to Jesus while you are a child and you make up your mind, I'm going to serve Jesus. Even if my mom doesn't, my dad doesn't, if my grandma and grandpa don't, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm telling you, your life will be better. It'll be better. Jesus always leaves everything better. There was a little girl that came to a children's revival and her face was all swollen and even her body was all swollen. She was just a little girl, seven years old. Her mommy walked her up the aisle and she said, Sister Vicki, my little girl is very sick, but she really wants to be with the kids tonight. She is in kidney failure. Her kidneys stopped growing. Her kidneys are the size of a little baby's kidneys. They stopped growing. And the doctors can't explain it. But she is on the transplant list. She's going to have to have an operation and get a kidney so she can live. If she doesn't get a kidney, she's going to die. Just a little girl. She said, she wants to be here with you, but she's so sick. So if she needs me, call me and I'll come and get her. The little girl sat on the end of the front row, and I was telling the children a story. And in the middle of my story, Jesus spoke to me, and he said, I'm going to heal that little girl. I stopped telling my story, and I said, children, Jesus just told me that he wants to heal this little girl. I brought her up in the midst of the children. They stretched out their hands, and the kids started praying. See, this is why we try to help you get serious when you come to church, because Jesus uses children. You don't have to wait until you're a grown-up for God to use you. Jesus hears children when they pray. And so if you will be serious when you come to church and listen really good and pray really hard and obey your parents and your teachers, then the Lord will come into your life and he'll start to use you. 
There are children that are preachers. There are children that are teachers. There are children that are leaders and children that know how to pray, that know how to intercede and pray. When their tummy hurts, they just pray hard. And Jesus sends angels to, to people to help them. That little girl came up front and those kids, they, they weren't playing around. They weren't giggling and laughing. They weren't playing with their friends and they weren't tying their shoes and they weren't chewing gum. And No, those children got real serious and they stretched their little hands out. Some of them touched her on the shoulders and, and some of them just reached out. And I prayed a simple prayer. I said, body, obey your maker. Kidneys, you be whole in the name of Jesus. That's all I said. I said, now, let's thank Jesus for healing this little girl. Those kids lifted their hands. Some of them were weeping and crying. That little girl was saying, thank you, Jesus, for, for healing me. Thank you, Jesus, for healing me. Well, you know what? She went back and sat down, and I finished my story. I went home from that conference because I didn't live there. I, I went far away to my home. And three weeks later... I got a packet of papers in the mail. There was a picture of that little girl in that packet of papers. And when I unfolded the papers, it was a medical record. I had to really look close and read it closely. And it said right on the top, we cannot explain what has happened. This is not a medical miracle. This is something outside the realm of medicine. Because when they went to do dialysis, the kidneys were whole. She was well. She didn't have to have a transplant. She's off the transplant list. I'm talking about restoration. He leaves you better than what you were before. When God gets done with you you are always better than what you were before there is power in the name of Jesus there's healing in the name of Jesus there is nothing greater than that name our children need to understand when you're afraid when you're lonely when you're worried when you're scared just say Jesus that's what that song means give me Jesus let me have that ability to just call his name Jesus. And he'll be right there. He'll be right there. He'll help you. That little girl was healed. A little boy came. His name was Reuben. Reuben was not born with hearing apparatus in his side of his ears. He had ears on the outside. In other words, but there was nothing on the inside to help him hear. They were trying all kinds of things to give him some little measure of healing, healing and hearing as far as the world can do. He had been to all kinds of specialists and doctors and one ear was completely missing, the other was partial. He had great big hearing aids hooked on the back of his ears and he still was just reading lips. He was born that way. Reuben and his friend were sitting on the front row. And again, we had a healing service with children. And the power of God was moving in that room. And there were children that were weeping and crying. And that's why I tell you, when we do those four steps of worship, you get real serious. And, and you pray real hard. And you watch what Jesus will do. But you can't just do it halfway. You have to do it all the way. You have to pray with all your heart. You have to learn to get a hold of the Lord. And it doesn't matter what anybody's doing around you. You have to say, I, even if my friend doesn't pray, I'm going to pray. I want Jesus in my life. There was a desperation that came on those kids. And they were all seeking God and praying. And we had talked about healing and how God heals. Well, this little boy was born this way. And, and the Lord didn't move on me to, to pray with him. I didn't feel to pray with him. But I want to tell you something. My little 10-year-old boy... He, he was standing next to Reuben. And Joshua looked at Reuben and he said, Hey, do you want God to heal your ears? Reuben said, Sure I do. I don't want to wear these hearing aids. They're communicating because they're best buddies. He's reading his lips. And he comes to me and he grabs my skirt and he said, I want to I pray for Reuben so God will heal his ears. Quite frankly, I am thinking, oh, okay. The Lord didn't have to speak to me. 
He can use anybody. When the church starts really living apostolic ministry and being the church, you won't be able to keep people out of this building. There won't be enough room for them. They'll be lined up to be prayed for. When we really get out of here and take this outside of here and be the end time church and start operating in the gifts of the Spirit, that little boy was moved on by the Holy Ghost. We brought Reuben up in the middle. Josh, I watched him. The kids again stretched out their hands. And I watched Josh. He laid his hands on either side of Reuben's head. He covered his ears. And he said, I want these ears to open in the name of Jesus. That's all it takes is that name. Not a pretty prayer. Not a scary look. but Not an eloquence. Oh no. I want these ears to open in Jesus name. The kids begin to weep and cry and pray. And all of a sudden. I mean I'm over here praying with somebody else. There were a lot of children that needed healing. And we are praying all over that altar for these children. And all of a sudden I look. And here is, is Reuben. And he's got his hearing aids off in his hands and he comes to me he said I gotta take these out cause it's real loud in here guess what I can hear it was an amazing miracle that God performed right there in the midst of the children when we talk about children's ministry we're not just talking about us ministering to the children but we're talking about children ministering we're selling our children short because they're ready to minister now if we would begin to empower them hallelujah that little guy had those hearing aids in his hand his mom's over in the sanctuary playing the organ brother stone king was over there and the service was was ending they were in the altar and that little boy went walking up the aisle Josh and Reuben he had the hearing aids in his hands I saw mom's look she's up on the organ she's like oh lord he took the hearing aids out I could see the look on her face. But he didn't stop at Mama. He went straight to Brother Stone King. I didn't tell him what to do. I just said, go ahead and tell your mama what happened. Oh, he marched up those steps. He went straight to Brother Stone King. He said, sir, I want to tell you what happened to me in children's church. God healed me, and I can hear. Matter of fact, it's way too loud in here. And he handed Brother Stone King his hearing aids. Uh, divine healing. That mama came off that organ. She went wild. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm talking about restoration. A little boy's hearing apparatus restored. That's what Jesus will do. There's nothing too hard for him. He's a healer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm talking about being restored. Being restored. Jesus leaves you better. Than what you were. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. Something that really happened. So the boys are winning tonight. Some of you don't have your back against the back of the seat. Your legs hanging down. Hook your hands together. When I was a little girl, I was kind of naughty. You have to learn to be good. I hadn't learned yet. I was six years old, and my mom and dad were older parents, and they were tired of raising children. My dad was 48 when I was born. My mom was almost 41. They had two little princesses that were quiet and sweet, and then they had me. I was born with attention deficit disorder, with hyperactivity. They didn't know what it was, and they didn't have pills. And my mom was very good about teaching me self-control. Every bit of self-control I have today is because mama taught me. She was firm but friendly. That's what she used to say. Trust me, she was a lot more on the firm side. And I was always wanting to do a new project or, 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 or have something new. And, and I had an idea. I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. It changed about once a week. 
I was six years old, but I had it all figured out because I had seen a little television show. There was a man on the show, and he came out with a big doll sitting on his arm, and the doll's name was Howdy Doody. Anybody remember that creepy little red-headed doll with the freckles? Howdy Doody. Howdy Doody would sit on this man's arm, and the Howdy Doody doll's mouth would move, and the man would smile, just smile real big, and talk to Howdy Doody. And it was amazing because that man was not moving his lips, but he was throwing his voice and making that mannequin talk. It's called ventriloquism. I wanted to do that. I went to my mom and dad and I said, I know what I want to be when I grow up a world famous ventriloquist. I'm going to travel the world and I'm going to, I'm going to stand up in front of people with my Howdy Doody doll and I'm going to be world famous. Now I need a Howdy Doody doll today. Dad said, that's not happening. Those dolls are over $100. We are not buying a Howdy Doody doll. So you just go play something else. Because you see, the ideas were many. I remember my hopes and dreams were dashed. Because I just really wanted to be a world-famous ventriloquist. But my mind went on to the next project, which was Christmas. Christmas was coming, and we always got a nice doll for Christmas, all of us girls. Every Christmas, we got the doll that we asked for, and I had seen a doll that I knew I wanted. This doll, her name was Mrs. Beasley. That's her picture right there. I went to mom and dad, I want a Mrs. Beasley doll for Christmas. Oh, okay. No, I mean it. I really need her because she's a grandma doll. There's no other doll like her. And, and I, I want her for Christmas. Every time we went to Walmart, I went and got her. And I brought her to my parents in this big box. This is the doll I want. Don't forget, I want this one for Christmas. We didn't have a lot of money. But mom and dad seemed to always make those kind of dreams happen. And so Christmas is coming. And I'm counting the days, and sure enough, I am not disappointed. When I run in there on Christmas morning, and mom and dad are waiting, smiling, because they've made some dreams come true, there is Mrs. Beasley under the tree. I rip her out of the box. I'm so happy. And I try her out. You see, she has a string on her side, and she says 11 things. And the best part about Mrs. Beasley, because I was such a challenging child, and most of the time, people did not say nice things to me. Mrs. Beasley said 11 nice things. She was a grandma doll. And then because I was born late in life, I, I didn't have grandparents. I, I didn't know how, how grandparents just let you do whatever you want. <laughs> I have nine grandchildren. And Mrs. Beasley would say, would you like a drink of water? Would you like to try on my glasses? Sit on my lap and I'll tell you a story. She was so kind to me all the time. She was my favorite doll. And I'd only had her for one hour. <laughs> and Mrs. Beasley laid right in the middle of my bed. And, and I, I was so happy that I got Mrs. Beasley. Christmas is over. Dad's going back to work. We have to go back to school in three days and mom can't wait. All the trimmings are put away. And Mrs. Beasley's lying in the middle of my bed. And my dad says, come in the living room. I want to have a little talk with you. Parents should always have little talks with their children. You never stop having little talks even when they're teenagers. We called them family meetings. And so I went in the living room and I was ready for the little talk. Dad said, you are six years old now. You're growing up. You're not a baby. And I want you to learn to take care of what has been given you. Now, I want you to keep Mrs. Beasley in the house. Don't take her outside and play with her in the mud. Don't leave her out in the rain. 
don't cut off all of her hair and don't use magic markers on her face. Some of you have gotten that same talking to. Take care of things that are given you. I said, yes, Daddy. I will, Daddy. You promise that you will take care of Mrs. Beasley. Because I had done all those other things before. Yes, Daddy, I promise. I promise I'll take care of Mrs. Beasley. I promise, Daddy. Daddy goes to work and Mom's in the kitchen. My sisters are gone. And I don't have anything to do. And I'm not allowed to say I'm bored. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> and I got an idea. Now, ideas should never make you disobey. They should never make you sneak. It's wrong to do that. But I told you, I didn't have the Holy Ghost and I was a little bit naughty. I know none of you ever do these things. But I had such a great idea and I knew it was going to turn out great. And my parents were going to be so happy. If I just did this idea, they're going to be so happy. So I went in the kitchen and I opened the, the steak knife drawer. And I got out a little steak knife. And then I got the big sharp scissors that I wasn't allowed to use. And put them in my other pocket. And I went in my room and I shut the door and I listened to hear if mom was following. She was not. Sit back. Stop talking. And I went in and got Mrs. Beasley. Because my has transformed into a famous surgeon. I got a towel and laid it on the bottom of the bed and I put Mrs. Beasley on the gurney. I laid her over on her face and I took that knife and poised it above her head and I made a hole in the back of Mrs. Beasley's head. I took the scissors and I cut a square out of the back of her head. It was very hard. That rubber on her head was really hard and it was very hard to do. And I could have gotten cut and I could have gotten hurt really bad. And I was disobeying. I laid that hairy square over on the bed. And I rolled Mrs. Beasley over on the gurney for part two of the surgery. I took the knife and put it in the corner of her mouth and made a hole. And then I pulled that knife across her little rubber lips to the other side and I didn't stop. And it, it went all the way to her ear. Oops. I threw away the little hairy square and I snuck the scissors and the knife back in the kitchen. And I took my new invention into the bathroom. And I locked the door. When you go in rooms and you start locking doors, that is when the devil's trying to get you to sin and to get you to disobey. I picked Mrs. Beasley up on my arm. I put my hand in the back of her hairy little head. I put my fingers down in her rubber cut lips. And I looked in the mirror and said, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Her lips did not move very well. This was not working out according to plan. But it was the best that I could do. They wouldn't buy me a howdy duty, so I made my own ventriloquist doll. And, and I have her, her looking in the mirror, and I'm learning how to throw my voice. And I'm so proud of myself, because I'm going to be a world-famous ventriloquist after all. I practice my show all afternoon. We have dinner. I can hardly wait because I, I already told mom and dad there's going to be a show after dinner. They, they were not surprised. There was always a show. And so my sisters were gone in their rooms because they didn't want any part of my activities. Mom and dad are in there. Dad in his recliner and mom in her rocker and she's crocheting doilies. And my dad's reading the paper. And I come in with Mrs. Beasley behind my back. And I said, are you ready for the show? 
yeah, we're ready. Dad laid down his paper and mom dropped her crocheting and they're all smiles looking at their baby girl. I pull Mrs. Beasley out. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And the smiles instantly fade. And my mom picks up her crocheting and she's crying. She's sobbing. She's crying in her doily. And my dad has a mad look on his face. And I'm standing there grinning because I, I did this all by myself and I got this great show. And, and I'm going to do it my way, you see. I, I, I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. It doesn't matter that daddy said, I gave you a treasure and I'm expecting you to take care of it. And, and somebody needs to hear me tonight. When the Lord gives you the Holy Ghost, he doesn't give you the Holy Ghost. So you go out there and do what what you want with it thank you for one hand clap I appreciate that it's the truth anyway when the Lord gives you the Holy Ghost he has that same talking to with you now what that means is you have turned your life around you're not going to do what you used to do you're going to walk with me now you're going to walk away from sin I was trying to make Mrs. Beasley something that she was never meant to be. She wasn't made to be a ventriloquist doll. I was trying to make her something she wasn't meant to be. The devil's number one scheme is to make you something you were never meant to be. Are you listening? I want you to hear me. The devil will tell you when you're born and you're a little girl and they wrap you up in a little pink blanket and they say, oh, it's a girl. She's so, look, look at what a pretty baby, baby girl that Jesus gave us. What do you want to name her? Well, let's, let's call her Lily. Let's call her a girl's name. She's, she's a girl. The devil wants you to think as you're growing up that it's okay if you decide you don't want to be a girl. I want you to hear me because the school's not going to tell you what I'm getting ready to tell you. The school book's not going to tell you what I'm telling you. It is not okay. If you're born a little girl, you will grow up and be a lady and you can't be anything else. If you're born a little boy, you will grow up and be a man. You can't change into anything else. It doesn't matter what the TV says. It doesn't matter what the teacher says. It doesn't matter what other kids say I'm telling you the truth you can't change what you are God made you exactly like he wants you if you're born a boy you're going to be a man if you're born a girl you're going to be a lady God made you that way he doesn't want you to change yourself you're good as you are you're perfect just like you are with the nose he gave you, with the mouth he gave you, with the ears he gave you. If you're tall or short or wear glasses, however you are, that's the way God made you. And he doesn't make junk. You are perfect and you are precious in his sight. was in a lot of trouble. I, I tried to make Mrs. Beasley something she wasn't. And I disobeyed my parents. And I did something very dangerous. And I was in trouble. And my mom was crying. Why? Because she'd already told me over and over, don't do that. Do you know sometimes we make Jesus cry? The Bible says that when we sin, after we've been saved and we go back and sin... We are crucifying him all over again. The Bible says we're putting him to an open shame. You think Jesus doesn't cry when we do that? I looked at my dad's face and my dad wasn't just mad. There was something new I'd never seen on my dad's face before. Hook your hands together. My, my dad wasn't just mad. I'd seen my dad mad at me a, a lot. There was something different. My dad was hurt that talking to with, with me about not destroying what he'd given me. My dad was hurt. I saw the hurt in his eyes. I, I sat there frozen. I, 
I usually would cry and I usually would start begging. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sometimes we say we're sorry when we're not really sorry. We're just trying to get out of trouble. You don't come to this altar and repent and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Lord, and then go home and look at pornography. That's not real sorrow. Sorrow means I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) Repentance means I'm turning away from it. I'm going to stop it. Don't get in the habit of just coming and crying off your sin and telling Jesus and going and do it again because you're serious when you do that. Before long, you won't even feel bad anymore. It's very dangerous. Oh, no, I I, I wasn't begging this time. I was watching Daddy. He jumped up out of that chair, and he grabbed Mrs. Beasley. And he walked outside, out the back door, and I heard the lid on the metal trash can clang. He threw Mrs. Beasley in the trash. My new doll that I'd wanted for weeks and weeks. Daddy didn't want to look at her. I destroyed her. Daddy came back in and he didn't give me a spanking and he didn't, he didn't take away a toy and he didn't send me to my room just for a little while. He said, I want you to go get ready for bed. I want, I want you to go to bed. I don't, I don't want to talk to you the rest of the, the evening. I just want you to go to bed. I'm six. I go to my room and I, I'm not even crying because... I'm just shocked. I walk down that hall to my room and I I shut the door and I crawl in my bed. And a six-year-old usually sleeps really good and I, I couldn't sleep. Because all I could think about was how I'd hurt my dad and I'd hurt my mom. And my mom was crying and my dad wasn't just mad, but my dad was sad. I saw the sad in his eyes. We have to learn to look into the face of Jesus. You'll never make it to heaven until you pass Calvary and you look in his eyes and you see him there. That's what will help you when the temptation gets real strong, when mom and daddy aren't there, when nobody's there to say don't do that. When you see Jesus and you remember him hanging on that cross, when you see the hurt, when you see the shame and you let your mind go back to that, that's what will help you live for the Lord. We, We can't forget the cross. I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I remember when I woke up, I thought, oh no, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen today. They're so mad at me. And one of my sisters had told me that, and I told you when I was here before, I told you this story. My sister told me that they found me on a log in the backyard when I was a little baby. She, she told me they, they didn't really want you. They found you out there on the log and they brought you in the house and they decided to keep you for a while. See how it goes. She was my older sister and I believed her. So on that morning, all I could think about was I've really messed up this time. And today's going to be the day that they take me to the orphanage and drop me off. Because I don't really fit in anyway and they don't want me and I'm always in trouble. And they're going to they're gonna drop me off at the orphanage. I woke up that morning with that sick feeling. I thought, oh no, they're, they're going to give me away today. And I want to talk to somebody right now that the devil tells you, I can't go back to the altar again. I can't repent again. I've messed up too many times and God's just done with me now. I want to tell somebody he's never done. As long as there's breath in your body, you keep coming. You keep giving your heart to the Lord. You get back up and start over again. Because there are no orphans in his kingdom. There are no orphan children. We all belong to him. He's never so mad at you that he doesn't want you. Doesn't matter what you've done. You remember that. Doesn't matter if you strayed away and you got out of church, he'll want you always to come back. Always. The best thing to do is never stray away. But you remember what I'm telling you tonight. I put on my clothes and I walked into the kitchen and I'll tell you what, somebody come and play real softly and try not to distract when you come up here because things are going pretty good right now. <laughs> Give them some hope. Play softly. I, I was going to go to the kitchen for breakfast. I heard mom and dad in the, 
in the kitchen. My sisters were there. And, and so it's, it's morning, and it's Saturday morning. It's time for, for breakfast. And so I walk down that long hallway, and I'm thinking, I wonder if they'll let me eat breakfast first before they take me to the orphanage. Because they're surely really mad at me after what I did. I should have never done that. I don't know why I did that. I'm walking up that hallway. And when I walk in the kitchen, my mom has her back to me. And she's frying eggs. And my mom turns around and she says, good morning, sweetheart. How would you like your eggs? You want scrambled with cheese? Yeah. That would be good, mom. I look very quickly at dad. He looks up and he says, there's my sunshine. Come sit over here by daddy. We're going to have a great day today. Mom fried us some bacon. After breakfast, we're going to have a today. It's going to be great. Did that really happen last night? Because daddy's not man. Mama's not mad. She's not crying. I sit down at the table and ate breakfast. And I want to tell you something. You know how some stories carry through the years. They're told at Christmas. Maybe they weren't funny at the time, but later on, everybody laughs. That wasn't one of those stories. It was never mentioned again no one ever said a word about what I'd done I believe the Lord looked down through time he knew I'd be standing right here tonight with a story to tell somebody a true story it was as if it never happened Nobody held a grudge. Nobody was angry. What am I talking about tonight? Restoration. What does restoration look like? It's as if it never happened. Some people need to let some people go about some things. Oh, well, I know they had a divorce. And I know that, you know, she has, those are her kids and those are his kids. That's none of your business. Restoration happens within the body. Oh, but, you know, he was a preacher, and, and, and he had a, a failure, and, you know, and there he is, you know. God is using him over there, and I just don't know. It's none of your business. Restoration's in the Word. Jesus makes things as if they never happen. He can take somebody that's had a failure and restore them to something better than they were before. Somebody that's broken, somebody that's backslidden, and make them We have to be willing to do like mom and daddy did. Paul said, I'm not apprehended. I don't have it all together yet. But this one thing I do, I'm leaving that junk in the past. I'm Why? Because Paul knew, I've been restored. I'm not what I used to be. We need to teach our children that gift of forgiveness and restoration by our actions in our home. We don't hold grudges. We, mamas and daddies don't pout and, and not talk for days in front of their kids. That's not forgiveness. What are you acting out for your children? That was a gift that my parents gave me that day of restoration. I disobeyed. I'd done something dangerous. I blatantly ignored their instruction. Yet, they forgave me. Restoration. I preached this message for the first time in a church in Wisconsin. When I gave the altar call, there were people restored. People came and repented. There were people filled with the Holy Ghost. There were backsliders that came with hope. And they were restored. 
A few days later, I got a phone call from a young couple, a new couple in the church. They had called their pastor and asked permission before they called me. We want you to come to our house for dinner. We just want to talk to you. We, we want to see if you would come over for dinner. I called their pastor and he had okayed it and we put a date on the calendar and it was going to be three or four weeks before I could get there on a Thursday night. They lived an hour away. And this precious little couple opened their home to me. They cooked food and we had a wonderful time and we talked and laughed and they told me how much they appreciated that message about restoration. Then when it's almost time to go there, they're looking at each other and they've got body language going on and she's nodding to him and he goes out of the room and he says, Sister Vicki, we got you a, a present before you leave. We, we want to give you a gift. He pulls out his camera phone and he, he's going he's gonna to videotape me open the gift. Just felt kind of odd, <laughs> but I always like presents. And this is going to be a nice one. Look how big it is. And, and they wrapped it so pretty. And so I'm thanking them. And I, I began to open the gift they got me. And I, I was so thrilled. And I was amazed at their thoughtfulness. When I took her out of the bag, the Lord spoke to me. He said, this is what restoration looks like. Her mouth's not cut. There's no hole in her head. She's better than she was. I held her in my arms, the tears are rolling down my cheeks, and I realized that it's been 52 years since I held her in my arms. 52 years since Dad took her and put her in the trash can. You know, don't ever think it's too late for me. Restoration can't come for me. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how long you've strayed. There's always hope. Just make your way back to the cross. And as I'm thinking about Mrs. Beasley, and I say, Lord, she is restored. She's not like I left her. But Lord, was she better? And the Lord reminded me, back in the 60s, when Mrs. Beasley came out, she was a very expensive doll. She cost $30. But this little couple, because the Holy Ghost moved on them, he said the Lord spoke to me and told me to order this vintage not a replica, not a remake. They remade her at 50 years. She's nothing like the, the original. But no, the Lord spoke to me. And I researched and I found a, a Mrs. Beasley, a vintage Mrs. Beasley. She cost $359. Something better. I'm better now than I was. I want to be better now than I was a year ago. I want to walk closer to the Lord now than I was five days ago or ten days ago. Restoration. Something better. You want to be better today? You want to walk out of here restored? All you have to do is bring Him your heart. Here's my life, Lord. I want to be restored back to you. 
Sin has separated me from you. Doesn't matter if it's the first time you've come or if you've come a lot of times. We need to repent every day. But Lord, this addiction I have, it's separated me from you. I want to be restored. He's a deliverer. He can touch your life tonight and deliver you from drugs, from alcohol, from pornography, from any type of sin. He can deliver you from addiction to the internet. He can deliver you from all kinds of things, but you just have to want it. Here I am, Lord. Please forgive me. Please clean out my heart. The moment you ask him, restoration begins. The moment you repent with one sweep of his hand, he cleans out your heart. The restoration begins. But you see, he's not going to leave you with this old stony heart. The Bible says he takes away this heart. That wouldn't be restoration to say, now, this one's broken and bruised and battered. I'm just going to leave you with that. Oh, no. The Bible says he takes away this old stony heart and he restores. He gives us something better. He gives us a brand new heart that he moves into. Restoration. He fills you up. And when the Holy Ghost gets right here, strange words come to your mind and you just speak them right out of your mouth. You can't do it wrong. I'm talking about something better. You'll walk out of here. Restored back to him. If you haven't been baptized. You're not ready for heaven. The only way anyone was ever baptized in the Bible. Was in the name of Jesus. Going under the water. Parents if your kids come to you and they want to be baptized. Don't make them learn exactly how to teach a a search for truth Bible study. Before you let them be baptized. Let them obey the word. They'll grow in it. Because they must be born of water. And of spirit. I've done my best tonight to tell you what restoration looks like. Now the rest is up to you. Would you stand with me right now? And I want all those that have never ever spoken in tongues before. You don't have that brand new heart yet. I want you to come and line up here first. Right across the front. You've never, they're not very many. Most of your children all have the Holy Ghost. But if you've never done it before, come right up here. Okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. The first row, just take a gigantic step forward. Come on, step forward. This first row, step forward. All right, gigantic step, way up here. Okay, the second row, come out behind them. Come on, a little farther up, first row. Move a little farther up. This is children's revival. So we all should be here together to pray. Now I want the altar workers, the ministry to come, line up here with me. I don't want you to touch your neighbor. And if you are touching someone, if your elbows are touching somebody, move away from them backwards or forwards. Give yourself a little space. Put your hand down. Give yourself a little space. Put your elbows out. If you're touching somebody, move away from them. Move away. Very good. Now, I want to tell you what I need right now. I need the youth of this church. All of the youth that have the Holy Ghost to come line up here with me. Come on. You know who you are. Youth, maybe even hyphen. Line up here with me across the front. I want you to stand still. You're in God's house, remember? Line up here with me all the way across. All the way across. I want to tell you something. These little people right here, boys, they don't want to be like me. I'm an old grandma. 
They don't look at me and say, wow, I just want to be like her. They want to be like you. Their eyes are on you. If you talk in tongues and you weep and you pray with them, they respond. But if you get cold in your walk with the Lord and you're not plugged in, that's what they do. And you know what? Jesus is coming. And I have every bit of hope in the next generation that when I lay my mantle down, it's going to fall on the shoulders of people like you that are going to carry it forward. And you're going to pray for these kids. And you're going to get in these altars. And you're going to preach the gospel with the tears rolling down your face. But that comes through the anointing. Nothing happens in an altar because somebody preached a great message. It comes by entertaining the presence of the Lord. And the anointing comes in. Now, what I need you to do across this front is lift your hands and close your eyes and get yourself plugged in right now. I want you to talk in tongues. Children, close your eyes across the front. All the children, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Come on, raise your face. Lift your hands. All the children, that's it. And I want you to start talking to Jesus. I need some adults to move in behind the children. Some adults move in behind. We need the anointing. We need the anointing. Come on, we need to worship. We need some intercessors to get down on the seats. We need restoration tonight. Come on, talk to the Lord. Jesus, I need you. Now, when you're ready, young people, I want you to move in and start praying with these children. Start praying with the children. Lay your hands on their heads. In the name of Jesus, come on. That's it. Lift your voice. Talk to the Lord. I'm sorry, Jesus, for the bad things I've done. Please forgive me. Please clean out my heart, Jesus.